First uh, Kings chapter three. I thought, you know, it was fun on Wednesday night. We're going to start there again. No, not really. But First uh, Kings chapter three. In verse 6, this is a little background for the book, and I'll go ahead and tell you. Uh, our memory verse is in Ecclesiastes, so that's where we're going to be. We're going to go be studying the book of Ecclesiastes. And so this is a little bit of the background to give us a little bit of context. Uh, we won't talk about the author some, as we've done with John here, we'll do with Solomon. He's kind of familiar with us, but um, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, 1 Kings 3, 5 says, In Gibeon, the Lord appointed Solomon in a dream, or appeared to Solomon in a dream, by night, and God said, "Ask what I shall give thee." Now, that's uh, not too many people get that opportunity, you know, for God to come to him and, and, and to say, "Ask what you want." Uh, I, I can think of two: Ahaz and, and, and this guy, um, and, and Solomon. And so uh, he says, "Ask for anything." Now he has just been appointed king, and uh, I think this shows the seriousness and, and the soberness in which he's taking the office. It's not like, "Woohoo, king power, control," you know, all this stuff. I think he feels the weight of it. He feels what, what, what's upon him. Verse 6. And Solomon said, Thou hast shown unto thy servant David my father great mercy. So he's observed that. According as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child and I know not to go out or to come in. Know not how to go out or go in to come in. He, he's humble here. He's like, I don't, I don't know how to lead the people. Verse 8. Thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and thou hast not asked thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked thy life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment, behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before, uh, before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have given also unto thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that thou shalt be among the kings, uh, that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And so he, he, he gives him, he rewards him, he says, I'm going to give you this understanding, I'm going to give you this wisdom, I'm also going to give you riches, and I'm going to give you some fame, I'm going to give you some other stuff. And then he goes on to tell him, if, if you're obedient and you really follow me, he goes, I'll even give you a long life, I'll throw all these, I'll throw all these other bonuses in. And so uh, he, he asked well. Chapter 4, verse 29 of 1 Kings. Chapter 4, verse 29 says, And God gave to Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand is on the seashore. He gave him an openness of heart, a love and a compassion. We also see that you know, that was some of his detriment is that he loved a lot of women. Um, but he gave him this largeness, this compassionate heart. Verse 30, and Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. And that, that's saying something. You think of um, the Asians to the east, you know, what they have. I mean, um, the Great Wall, you know, still an astonishment to us. Um, they have, uh, there's a, a lady there that they have found 
that was so well preserved, we could tell you the last meal she eat, and I forget how old they say she is and just how well uh, that she was preserved, you know, a mummification technique that we don't know how they did. You know, I think her skin's still supple, supple and all this stuff. Uh, they had movable type centuries before Gutenberg, you know, and, and, and had movable type in that way. They had rocketry and that they had, you know, rock, you know, the, fireworks and all that stuff, but you know, they, they had artillery in that way. They had all this back then. And then you think of the e- Egypt you know, with all, all the great pyramids. It's still astonishing. And there's something Egyptian that comes through town. It's usually sold out. And when King Tut stuff comes through, it's sold out. People want to go look at it. It's fascinating to look at. Every time I see a headline about they found something new in the pyramid, which we have been studying forever, and they found new chambers. It's like, oh, we thought we knew the mysteries of the pyramid. And this last year, uh, they were able to do this photo technique and find out that there was empty chambers in there that we didn't know about. Still mysteries locked away in this. Uh, the architecture, the, the, the writings, the, uh, the way they mummified, just all this. It's pretty fascinating all that they did and how smart they were that they would build these great things and move these great boulders and do all that. It says Solomon was smarter than all that. That's why there's a lot of stories about him having a throne that would come up out of the floor, that he had mechanical lions that went down the side, mechanical birds kind of like going to the tiki room at, at Disney World where they all sing and, and do all these things. He, he kind of, I can't validate all those. Those aren't in the Bible. These are extra biblical that talk about it. But they talk about all the fantastic things that he had. I'm like, man, I wonder what he had. Just how he built the temple, you know, how it was basically a, a Lincoln log Lego type setup and that it all would fit together without nails. They would assemble it on the site without the sound of a hammer or a saw and they would all slip together in the construction of that, let alone boating and mining and all this other stuff that he gave his mind to that I'm sure we're still beneficiaries of because Solomon thought about it. He said he, he gave him all this. Um, verse 32 says, and He spake 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005, so he wrote those two. He spake of trees from the cedar tree and in the Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts and fowl and creeping things and of fishes. And there came of all the people to hear the wisdom of Solomon for all the kings of the earth uh, which had heard of his wisdom. He studied botany. He studied, you know, he, he studied fish. You know, he's oceanography. He's, he studied everything. He was he was curious. He talked about trees. He talked about how these things climb up a wall and how that was. He, he looked at it all, and then he had a perception and a desire to understand it, and he wrote about it. Do we have it all? No, but I'm sure some of that teaching all still comes through to us. Uh, but he was curious about it all and more. He's written a bunch of songs. When I've talked about the Song of Solomon, we've gone through a few times. We've mentioned this before. You know, he writes these thousand and some songs. We have one, you know, the Song of Solomon. He's, he's written all these books and all these Proverbs. We have, you know, some in the book of Proverbs. We have another one in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so we have some of his wisdom preserved for us. He could have asked for anything, but he chose wisdom. That was a wise choice. So we had a little wisdom to work with, right? He kind of had a little bit of leaven in the pot there, you know, for it to grow, um, to use a Bible term in that way. So he had a little bit there. And what an opportunity, right? Would you take that opportunity? If God gave it to you, would you seize that and say, you know, I'm going to ask that same thing. Turn to James chapter 1. James 1 and verse 5. James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And he giveth to all men liberally, and he abrideth not, and it shall be given him. In essence, essence, you have the opportunity like Solomon every day. Lord, I want wisdom in this. Lord, would you help me to have understanding? Help me to choose wisely. 
That's often a lot of prayers we have here as a group when we come together. Help me have some discernment. I'll know what to do on this. Lord, you know, could you all pray for me about selling our house, about buying this house, about buying this car, about making this decision, about what school we're going to go to, about what we're going to do? It's biblical. We're supposed to. And he's going to give us guidance. He's going to give us direction. He's going to help us in this way. If we're truly seeking him, it's like, Lord, I'm not just taking in the advice of everybody else. I want you to guide me. I want you to, to point me down this path. I want you to give me understanding in this. It's helped me at my job. Countless times. You know, you ever have the problem when you get stuck on something, there's no answer, there's no one else to go to, you know, because you're the one that helps fix things, and you're like, I don't know where to go. I'm like, oh, you know, uh, I try to always make it sooner rather than later. I'll be like, Lord, you built me, and I'm a lot more complicated than this stupid machine. I'm like, you know how things work, you know the mechanics of things, will you help me understand what's going on with it? A few minutes later, it's like, boom, here it is. I mean, right there, talk about axe head moments. I couldn't tell you how many times it's been like, ha! <laughs> Making a celebrate, and I'm like, man, you are cool. Yeah, you would do that, and you would give me this. And, and he does that. Sometimes I have to sleep on it. You know, but it's still, he, he gives you that understanding. That, that's, that's cool. Uh, that's neat to think about. He says, do it. Ask me. You'll have it. So we have this opportunity to choose to be wise and to learn wisdom. We also have the benefit that Solomon was wise. And that Solomon wrote these things down. And we have the Bible that tells us there's things, wisdom contained in this book that you can read and save you grief in your life. Uh, turn to Proverbs 1. Written by Solomon. Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 1 says, The proverb of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. It's one thing to hear it. It's one thing to read it. It's another thing to understand it. You ever had that where you read something you're like, I don't get this. <laughs> I'm going to have to read this a few more times. <laughs> Lord, help me understand this. Help me comprehend what's going on here. And you've got to go back and then finally, like, oh, the light bulb goes on. Especially if it's written in Jap English. You know, when you're like, I don't know what they're trying to say. Uh, my machine at work now will say, when it jams up, there are papers. I'm like, well, that doesn't help me. <laughs> it's like, I know there are papers. <laughs> they're all in the wrong spot. You know, how's that work? You know, but, you know to, to read and perceive and try to get what they convey. Or, you know, we live in a society that's, I won't say what we are, but it's all pictures, you know, and it's like, I don't know what that's trying to show me. <laughs> Apparently this is trying to help. We're trying to look at, uh, Joel and I are trying to install his water heater, and we're like, he goes, it gives me this picture. I'm like, I don't know what that's showing. <laughs> and it's showing me it in French. I don't know. And so, you know, to try to look and perceive what is there. And so we're to ask for that, you know, to have understanding, to read it and perceive it and take it in. That, that takes something to have to meditate on it in that way. To receive instruction, verse 3, of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and, and, and equity. It's one thing to know it, another thing to apply it. Verse 4, to give subtlety to the simple. To at least give them some kind of discernment, kind of like a snake. To give them some protection, some guardian, uh, some, some, um, some essence of, of guarding them. Because you know, there's some people, you know, they just get taken advantage of because they're simple. You know, and God says, you know, at least to some of them, he'll give them some discernment in that way. And then we, he's also given them us, you know, to help watch over. But he gives subtlety to the simple and to the young man knowledge and discretion. You know, there's some young people that have... Great knowledge, you know, that they, they discern and perceive it in this way. And God sometimes gives that to them to help them. You know, and putting them in the Word is an advantage. You know, having your children in service is that way. Uh, verse 5, a wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. A learning person wants to keep learning. And he wants to learn more. He'll understand that I don't know it all and that someone might know better than me. And then they'll take time to, to hear instruction and not just be talking all the time. And to seek out wise counsel and, and, and counsel and to get advice from others. Verse 6, to understand a proverb 
and the interpretation. It's one thing to read it. It's another one to get the interpretation. We have that with Jesus, right? Like with the, the, when he would teach in parables and things, they would be like, we heard you. Uh, could you help us out? You know, and he had to give them an instruction. But to, to read it and, and interpret it. And the words of the wise and their dark sayings. You know, some of the, there's some hard stuff in the Bible. We're to pray to ask for, Lord, help me to unlock that. You know, and he does sometimes. Sometimes he'll draw us in further. Sometimes it's where we are in the timeline of how much he gives us. But seeking and asking and going after it. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but the fool despiseth wisdom and instruction. The first place is to know that he's the source of all wisdom and all knowledge and understanding him and having a right relationship with him. You can go to him and ask him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You're to get life right, you have to have that right. Are you in a right relationship with him? Have you repented and trusted him as your savior? If you have that, you have a... An advance on everyone else. I don't know how many times as a congregation I've heard us say that. How do the lost do it? How do they get through a hard time like this? How do they get through a death in the family? How do they get through a sickness? How do they do this? We have an advantage because we know that God is working all things. That there is a purpose. That there is a point. There's a lost and a desperationness in the world because they don't have any of that. It just seems like, oh, you're just random molecules created by stardust going through time. And then you're just going to end up as nothing. Enjoy. You know, it's, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a futility to it that makes you like say, why bother? Uh, that the world tries to culminate. But the fear of the Lord, there's the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. And fools despise it, and you can see them, they don't want to be instructed. Um, verse 8, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Your parents are there to guide you and to guard you in instruction. That's why it's one of the commandments. You want to begin knowledge and learning? Listen to your parents. Listen to what they have to say to discern the truth that they give you, the wisdom that they have. How many times have it been like, I know as a parent, we're like, I want to grab you by the head and say, learn from my mistakes. You know, and you try to impose it on them. And sometimes they go and make them themselves in that way. Verse 9 says, For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. If you listen to instruction, if you listen to the words of your parents, if you listen to knowledge and understanding, it's going to adorn you. People are going to say, there's some wisdom with that person. There's some understanding with him. They have something to glean, you know, that's going to look like you know, good jewels around you. And so he, he gives us knowledge and understanding there. And there's, we could read the whole chapter, but I'm not. Look at, look at Proverbs 8. There's a, and again, I think I almost have on this one, we could read it all, but uh, Proverbs 8. And this one's kind of neat in that Solomon's perceiving this, and he's saying, I asked for wisdom, and he goes, you know what? I find wisdom every place. And I find that God has put it out there, and he is crying for people to, to do it. I love that about God. I love that God basically says, seek me. He does say that in Acts 17. Seek the Lord. Find him. Feel after him, though he be not far from every one of us. It's a quest. There's something about me as a, as a, as a man that wants a quest, that, that needs a quest, to know that there's something to pursue. We're to pursue him. Seek after me and find me. Do I ever get him? Do I ever attain it all? No, I have a quest that is always going to be there. I'll be searching and finding. He'll give me nuggets along the way to help me and encourage me. And I like that. I like escape rooms. I, I like doing puzzles. Uh, I get, my kids get me have some good puzzle stuff for Christmas. And it's like to find the clues. When you get a clue and it works, you're like, aha, and it opens it up. And it, it's going to reveal some deeper thing. It's going to take you to something else to help open that up. And it's like, what's behind that door? I don't know. What's in that box? What's that lock hiding behind it? The Bible's that way. And you open it up, and he's like, and there's more, and there's more. And he's that way, and it's always going to be, and there's more to study and to get to. Here he's kind of making this cry. Um, so Proverbs 8, verse 1. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? Wisdom wants to be found. Learn from me. 
Observe. See, no, see what they are going through. Avoid that. My wife went through a phase where we read a birth order book. And it is pretty neat when you go through and you're like, man, there's some truth to that. A firstborn behaves this way. A secondborn behaves this way. A thirdborn be- behaves this way. All the time the thirdborn can avoid a lot of trouble because they watch the first two mess it up a lot. You're like, man, I'm not going to do that. You know? And so they kind of skirt by and get by with something. You know, so there is something about that, about learning, understanding, and perceiving in this way. Uh, taking it out. And so here wisdom is saying, you know, put forth, learn, understand. And we get it not just in birth order, but in everything. Perceive. He's telling us to be perceptive. We should be looking for wisdom. We should be looking to learn. We should be looking to study. You know, it's neat when you go and you learn how someone else makes a living. You're like, oh, I never would have thought. And boy, you have to do that and the skills and the trade that is there, the language that comes around that. It's always neat to hear how someone else makes a living in that way. It's just, and there's wisdom behind that. Like, oh, I never would have considered. I never would have thought. I never knew. And just knowing that there's all these unknowns out there, you know, but that you can learn from that, and it just gives you a vaster knowledge in that way. Verse 2 says, uh, She standeth in the top of the high places, but the way in the places and of the past. And, and so she's there. She's along the journey. She's at the destination. She's where she's going. Wisdom is teaching you all along the way. Verse, uh, or verse 3, She cries at the gates and at the entry of the city and at the coming in of the doors. There's things to learn. Verse 4, Unto you, O man, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. So she's making a call. And it also tells us that it's readily accessible. Knowledge and understanding is out there. Solomon asked for it. God unlocked it. James tells us if we want it, ask for it, and he'll unlock it and say, Are you going to learn from this? Are you going to see what you can do? Are you going to see how you can apply this? He's going to give it to you. Verse 5. O ye simple, understand wisdom. And ye fools, be you uh, be ye of an understanding heart. We should desire it. Verse 6. Hear for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be of right things. For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing forward or perverse in them. Always does right. Verse 9. Wisdom always does right. Verse 9. They are all plain to him that understandeth, and right to them that find knowledge. Receive my instruction, and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. Counsel is mine, and sound wisdom, I am understanding, I have strength. By me kings reign, and princes decree justices. By me princes rule, and uh, nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Seek him early. Verse 18. Riches and honor are with me, yea, des- uh, durable riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fi gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of judgment, that I may call those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures. Uh, again, he says it's wisdom. It's going to be better than money. As a matter of fact, it's money in the bank. You're going to have knowledge and understanding. It's going to save you money in the long run that you'll know how to do this and to do that and to avoid that. So on and on and on. Again, it's a whole chapter, and there are more that we could look at. Uh, but let's talk about wisdom. Seek after it. It is there. It's there to be found. Apply it to your life. Let's go to Ecclesiastes now. So, past Proverbs. Ecclesiastes. Um, so this is our new study for a while, and I think it's going to be fitting for us. It's written by Solomon to you. 
So here you go. You got a letter from Solomon. <laughs> he's old when he's writing this. At the end of his life, he's had not only wisdom given to him, he's also had experience. He's taken in a life. Uh, the older I get, the more I can look back and say, you know, there is something about life experience. There is something about not being a novice. You can see our forefathers had wisdom in that, you know, that a president had to be so old you know, before, he, before he could be elected because you want some, some wisdom, some life experience to, to avoid some pitfalls and some troubles that are there. The Bible says that about deacons in that way. You have to have some life underneath you before you go in and start ruling over people. If not, it's, you'll get burned you know, and, and you'll get hurt and the, you know, power corrupts. You know? and so it, it has a lot of, there's a lot of uh, wisdom and, and waiting until you have some life experience. Um, and he's going to use his experience and his life He's lived a life like no one else. Um, he says he's the richest person who ever lived. He had gold, he had access, he had power. You know, if he wanted to do it, he was able to do it. No one told him no in that way. And so he used that like no one else could. And he wants to pass on that wisdom, the things that he learned to you and me. It's a riddle book. Probably one of the reasons I kind of like it. You know, it's in this way. It's not just like, here, no one understand. It's something you have to work at. Because wisdom's that way, right? You have to look for it. It's not just laying there. It's something that, to be sought after. In the Bible, I've given you the verses before about how God hides things, and he wants you to seek after him and pursue it in that way. Some say it's a depressing book. kind of is. Unless you have the key. If you have the key that unlocks the book, it's not a depressing book because it puts it in the right context. When you understand why he is saying what he is saying, and you have the key that unlocks it, and it makes it make more sense. And so it's not depressing, it's actually encouraging in that way. It's depressing that most of the world is this way, I would agree in that way. It's a very practical book for today. It has reasonable answers. It prepares us, and it points, it prepares us to point the way to Christ, that the answer is Christ, that he is the key, that he's the one that unlocks us. But Christ is the answer to all these questions that, that Solomon comes to. And he says, here it is, that, that, that he's the one that helps unlock it. And we'll get through that countless times as we go. Um, we can use then, with, with what this book gives us, that it equips us to then use the sad and the hard things in life as springboards of opportunities to witness. When someone is going through something hard, or someone seems like they're depressed, or someone is battling something that seems like, why, 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 that you can then have some wisdom because of what Solomon's imparted to us to help guide them and guard, and guard them in this way. This book does not ever say a word from the Lord. It's not like a prophecy was given to him that it was just declared. It never says, thus saith the Lord anywhere, um, or that God said. It doesn't say that. This is Solomon's life experience, and God equipped him to now say, from your perspective, tell this. But God gave this wisdom, like I said, to Solomon, and now he's passing on his findings to us. He's going to tell us what's important in life. He's going to answer the questions about, is life futile? Does it, does it matter? He's going to address those. Vanity of vanities. If, you're, if I had asked you to give me a quote from Solomon, that'd probably be one we'd say, right? It's a quote, quote from Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities. It's quoted some 30 times in this book. But when you unlock, and that talks about things being empty, but when you unlock on how to read it, it's pointing to a way to avoid having an empty life, having a, a wasted life in that way. He's trying to tell us, avoid the vanity of vanities and go and pursue that which is worth living. Suicide is a major concern in the USA today. Uh, the numbers I got was like 121 per day. 
And they say they estimate that that's very low because a lot of them go unreported. You know, that, that's not told. It's embarrassing. You keep it as a secret. You're not like, oh, I, yeah, I'm suicide. That, that, it's bad. It's the second leading cause of death for young people between 15 and 24. Second leading cause of death. It's the seventh leading cause of death for males in general. It's the sixteenth leading cause of death for women in general. So all of us face it. Here's one of the most disturbing ones. It's the third leading cause of death between 10 and 14. What life have they gone through? What bills, what troubles do they have upon them that they would take their life at 10 years old, 14 years old? But I don't think they grew up in the same world most of us grew up in. Why? Because life's hard. Why, why, why suicide such a thing? Life is hard. And you come to the point and you're told in the world, life doesn't matter, you don't matter, you're not special, you're just a random collection of molecules, there's no purpose in it, there's no point in it, you know, blah, 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 blah. There's nothing after life, there's no accountability, there's no judgment. Let's end it all, be done. It's a viable alternative. Our state is now have on the table right to suicide, you know, trying to pass um, laws in that way to let people be able to, to do that with medical supervision in that way. Um, we are slipping a long way from the Bible base and, and, and God's perspective that life is precious. You know, we've come a long way from that. And so it, suicide's not an escape. It's not a getaway. So I think that's why this book would be important to us. It is kind of depressing. It takes on those depressing topics, but it's going to give us answers, to be able to give answers to them. Solomon sought answers to those questions, and, and, and this is his answer. So Ecclesiastes. Um, one of the other things about it, it's not out to prove God. It doesn't try to prove God's existence. doesn't try to prove that God's in control or God's doing all these things. God is always assured to be there in this book. You have to assume that, that he is going from the presumption that God is there. His question is, does God matter in this life? That's more the question that he is going after. Does God matter in this life? Does God care about what we do in this life? Does it make a difference? Does is, is God, does our connection with God in this life make a difference here on this earth? That's one of the things that he looks at. Solomon searched the depth of human experience, including despair, into seeking an answer to this. He examined the futility of life. He lived a life without eternity in view a lot of the time and comes to the conclusion that you have to. It is a necessity that you have to have eternity, eternity in view the whole time you live, or it is empty, or it does, or it does seem vain. God is the necessity of this life. This is what the conclusion he comes to. That's why we are reading the memory verse that we are, telling you the conclusion of the matter. God is the center of it all. You need to live a life that is focused around him, or it all does seem empty. It all does seem useless. It all does seem futile in that way. God, living in the light of God, living a life in the light of eternity is what makes this life so important. Life is a bridge to eternity. That's where we're going. That's where we're heading to. Don't waste it. Don't burn it down. Don't trash it. Don't jump off of it. No, use it as the bridge it's supposed to be. To ignore eternity and to ignore God and to deny Him and to live like God does not exist is vain. It is foolish, it is unwise, it is empty. That's what makes it so uh, depressing. The title is Ecclesiastes. Not a word you and I throw around very often. Um, It's Latin for the gatherer. That seems kind of weird. Um, Someone who searches and collects things 
and then presents them. Another word we would use is a preacher. Gathers information on a topic, gathers information on a verse, collects them together, and then presents them to you. A goober like me. So, so you gather them together, you present them, and put them in that way. Another, a teacher, a professor, uh, someone in that way. I've got information on a topic, and we teach them this way, and, and build this way. So this is sometimes Ecclesiastes, the preacher, the teacher, the professor, the one who's giving it, he's the gatherer. He's putting all this information together, and now here's his term paper, here's his thesis. He, he's going to lay it out here and say, here's my conclusion of the matter. Solomon searched and learned and gathered information, and now he's presenting his findings to us, and so we are beneficiaries. So chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, ecclesiastical, ecclesiastes, the word of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Uh, He gives himself the title of the preacher. He's the one delivering this, that he's gathered information. Here's his sermon. He tells us who he is, that he's the son of David. That's who he is. He's the king. He tells us that. That's who he is. The one who sought answers. He's the one who searched into these matters. He's the preacher. He's like, so here he, is. he tells us right out. This is me, Solomon, the conclusion of the matter. God, I asked for wisdom. God gave it to me. I lived a life. Here's the conclusion at the end of my life. Here's, the, here's my paper. Here's what I have to turn in. Verse 2. Here's his synopsis. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. There's probably one of your, your quotes for Solomon. Vain means empty. You know, oh, they're so vain. You know, they're empty. They're, they're, they're full of themselves in that way. Um, and this has a redundancy. Vanity of vanities. All is vain. You know, that, talk about a redundancy that we have here. And redundancy, though, tells us the importance. We use it when we talk about a place, the holy of holies. Out of all the holy places that God had, this is the holiest of the holy places, the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, the place that they only went to one time a year. That's the holiest of all the holy places is the holy of holies. So what is the vainest of all the vain things? Solomon gives us that. That's what he's talking about. What is the vain, what is the vanity of all vanities? He says it right there at the end of verse 2. All, everything, it's all empty. Everything is the most vain of all vain. Nothing matters. It's all vain. It's all empty. It's all that way. Like I said, this is called, depressing by some people, it's also called a pessimistic writing. Uh, It has a negative view in that way. We don't have too many things that are written in that uh, uh, genre, I guess. Ancient world did. There's an Egyptian writing that pretty much kind of goes along with this. Life doesn't matter. Let's just quit. You know, and that, that way, and that's uh, an Egyptian writing. Um, but it's pessimistic in this way that it seems like it's uh, you know negative. It's the only book in the Bible that's recorded in that way. Gladly, you know. And so, but it's but it isn't from a pessimistic viewpoint. But he's going to give us a clue. To unlock that here in verse 3. So verse 3. Verse 3, we'll read, we'll read through 11. Of why he says everything is vain. Verse 3 says, What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also arises, the sun goes down, and hastes to its place where he arose. The wind goes towards the south, and turneth about to the north. It whirleth about continually. The wind returneth again according to its circuit, to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor, man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing which has been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, see, this is new? It hath been already of old time, which was before us. 
There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. Um, we won't write, get through all that, but he does have a clue to why he says things are vain or it is empty. That's in verse 3. He uses the term under the sun. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he, takes, which he taketh under the sun? Under the sun in this book is used some 27 times. It is a phrase he's going to repeat again and again. And it's a, it's a key or it's a clue to tell us why these things are empty. Um, anything done for here and now on earth is just for here, now on earth. Uh, to live here, for here, for the existence of being here, just for your life here, not for others, or you live a life for others, to please others in that way, or if you leave it, live a life for popularity, or if you live a life um, just for yourself, or if you live a life for just here and now, what's going on, um, the New Testament used the world. If you live a life for the world, or you live a life like the world, uh, in the book of Revelation it says those of the earth in that way, it uses the same term. Uh, Jesus kind of uses the same uh, phraseology, in the New Testament, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus said, What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and he lost his own soul? What's the profit? Why does a man work here? Solomon says, Why does he work under the sun? If it doesn't count, and Jesus says, What if a man gained the whole world? What if you were able to own it all? What if you had it all and you died and went to hell? It'd mean nothing, right? You can't buy it. You can't be like, Oh, here, I have the whole world. Can I get out of hell now? No. It doesn't work. It's just, it's just for here and now. What if, if you worked your whole life just to gain the world, that's emptiness. You would have a wasted life. That would be vain. That is a vain endeavor just to live to be rich, to live to own it all, to live for doing things in the world. That's the same thing he says here. So Jesus, in his essence, gives us the unlocking here. Eternity matters. If you're not living for eternity, it is empty. It is wasted. And that's what Solomon is going to teach us again and again. Um, yeah, it might be fun what you're doing now. That's okay. It might be pleasant. It might be profitable. It, it might be entertaining. It, um, it doesn't count for much in light of eternity. If you gained it all, you die and go to hell. That's an unsuccessful life. That is a vain life. That is an empty life. That is a wasted life. If you live for money, if you live for now, if you live for entertainment, if you live for these things, that should change our perspective, right? That's Solomon's point. He's trying to change our perspective. He's trying to tell us the importance of living for eternity, the importance of living for God, having a relationship with Him, because these are the things that count forever. These are the things that we send our treasure ahead for, that it doesn't waste away, that it doesn't burn up. It's not like wood, hay, stubble. It's gold, silver, precious stone. He is telling to teach us that. He said, I've studied the world from the world's point of view. It comes to the same conclusion. Eternity matters. Living for God matters. Your life needs to matter for God. If not, it's emptiness. It's the empty of empties. It's all empty. It's all vain. It's all nothing if you don't do that. So that's why he says this. So he gets right to the heart of the matter right at the start. Verse 4. One generation passes away and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. Same old, same old, right? Uh, we live our life. We grow up. You know, our grandpas did. Their grandpas did. Their grandpas did. We might drive something different. We might walk someplace different. We might have a little bit different house. We might have plumbing or no plumbing. We might have hospital. But pretty much people live, die. Live, die, you go to graveyard, you're like, mm, Dash is in the middle, that was their whole life, and that doesn't tell us much, you know, right there. This seems like, man, it just keeps going, continuing. Why? What's life for? That's what graveyards are for, right? To make you consider the end. Solomon's going to get to that in this book as well. Because without eternity, it doesn't matter. You just live and you get you know, a six-foot spot in the, on the graveyard. That, that, that seems like what a waste, because it is a waste, because you are made for eternity. And so Solomon's trying to point you to that. Verse 5. The sun also arises, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. 
sun doesn't stop for you. It just keeps going around. You can go through a hard time. Sun keeps going. Another day's going to come. You know, it's going to stop. It doesn't stop. Keeps going. Keeps going until God tells it to stop. It just keeps going. Day after day. Doesn't even bother you. Doesn't even notice you. Doesn't even consider you. Sun just keeps going. Seems cold, heartless, and careless. Unless you have Christ, right? Then God does care. He does know what's going on. He wants you to pray to Him. He wants you to talk to Him. He wants to intercede on the behalf of your life. And so He's telling us from the world's point of view, it does seem empty. But with Christ, He is involved in your life. He's the answer. He's what we're searching for. Verse 6. The wind goeth toward the south and turneth unto the north. Uh, it whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to His circuits. Weather doesn't change. Keeps going. You could be freezing to death. Your pipes could be bursting. Still stays cold. <laughs> still stays cold oh you like it to be a little bit warmer so you can work on that a little easier nope <laughs> I'm just going to keep being cold I'm still January you know, it doesn't care you know, it can be hot and you're like oh when's the heat going to cease I don't care I'm still hot it just, doesn't, it just keeps going it, it, doesn't, it doesn't consider us at all storm floodwaters keep rising please stop keeps coming house floods goes away the wind keeps blowing house blows away you have all this it seems like it doesn't care because it doesn't care but God says with him it does matter all things can work together for your good if you have Him. All of a sudden, these tragedies aren't tragic. It's a stepping stone. It's an opportunity, something God's given you to use for His glory. Changes everything. It makes it from a futile life to an exciting life, a life with exploits where God is using and moving and working through your life in that way. Changes everything. So He is trying to get us to get this picture, and He's going to tell us through these 12 chapters about it. Verse 7. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. And unto the place from whence the rivers come, uh, thither they return again. Uh, there's a lot in here you could say about the uh, hydrology and, and how that works. You know, it goes out and evaporation goes back up and comes back down. That Solomon was perceiving all that. But it also says the river keeps going. It might shift a little bit. But it's going to be here and there. It's going to keep pressing. It's going to keep going. It's going to go on. It doesn't really concern himself with you. Verse 8. All things are full of labor. Amen. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. That's true. There's always more to be seen. You know, I thought I knew all the stuff about the world. You know, you look at it and you're like, oh, okay, trees, and that's a beautiful vista, and we have like the, we put a park there for a reason. You're like, oh, that's why they put a park at Niagara, because that's cool to see. That's why we have one here. You know, it's got some cool thing to see. We have all these things. We have them out there. And then the internet comes along, and you're looking, and you're like, that's got to be CGI. And you click on it, like, that's an island somewhere, and they have a weird tree that looks that way. And I've never seen a tree like that, and I've never seen an animal like that, and I've never seen this. And it seems like the more the internet's out there, the more there is. You're like, I don't know anything about this world. There's always something new to see. There's always something more. There's always a new story. A new movie comes out. I want to see it. I'm like, I don't want to see that one. That one looks like it's got a neat story. Might have a twist to it. And you're like, oh, it's that same story done again. But you're a little bit different. And so you always want to hear. You always want to learn. It's never like, I've seen enough. I don't think people say that. Uh, I've heard enough. It says, no, we have a desire to see more. Don't you? Don't you want to continue on? Don't you want to keep looking? Don't you want to take in and have new experiences? Don't you want to hear more? A new and exciting story. It's one of the reasons I like the Bible. I can read it, and like, oh, I perceive it and understand it. And he's like, oh, that's layer one. Let's go down a notch. And you go down, like, ah, here's a little deeper level. And then you go, oh, let's go a little bit deeper and see how this all fits together. And ah, you thought you understood. Here's another level. And it's like, how deep does it go? I don't know, but I look forward to taking that journey with him because he has more to teach us. That's to make us fit for heaven. To show us that this world is not going to satisfy us. I'm not going to see it all. I've not traveled very far at all. I've looked at pictures on the internet, you know, but I've been to Florida, been as high north as Michigan. 
I've been to St. Louis, just St. Louis that way, and uh, we went to New Hampshire, Hampshire the other way. That's not very far, and I've only saw what I could see off the interstate for most of it. You know, I didn't get out and wander around. I didn't want, between here and my house, there's only been a few places I've really explored. Uh, my mom and dad's five acres and my yard. You know, uh, I mean, Elaine's dad's uh, got a hundred acres, some that we've played around in. I still get lost in it. You know, but it's still, it's, it's, there's a lot there to explore. You're like, how big and how vast is this? You know, as a kid, we knew our mile road in the neighbor's woods next to us, and uh, the rest of it was cornfields, but it was to get out and explore it. And I think when I drive between home and here, a lot of times I look apart and I'm like, I wonder what's over there. I wonder what's down there. There's a stand of pines up here I want to walk through. I don't know. There's a big one. I've looked up on Google Maps. I'm like, I don't know who owns it. I want to get in those woods and walk through it. I'm curious about all these different things to see. I don't think I'd ever be satisfied. That is because I'm fit for eternity. God has put eternity in our heart, a quote from Ecclesiastes. He's put something in our heart to say that you want to see more. You want to live more. You want to experience more. And it's the whole phraseology that uh, C.S. Lewis used. He's like a duck is born with a desire for water. He's got webbed feet. He floats. You know, he likes to drink. You know, he wants all that. Because why? Because there's water. He is built, designed, and made for water. He's to go there. A baby cries the minute it's born. It's hungry for milk. You know why? Because there's milk. You know, because his mother makes milk. He is there. He is fit for it. He is made for it. It is there. We have a desire to live forever. A desire to learn more, to see more, to understand more, to perceive more, to explore. Why? Because there's more. There's so much more. And God has said, I put eternity in your heart because it's there. And the things that we have in this life that do not satisfy us is to frustrate us enough to say, there's got to be more. And God says, that's me. Come find me. Seek after me. Find me. And I will, not, I will not disappoint. Taste the Lord and see that He is good. You know, understand. Drink from Him wholly. You desire the milk of the Word? Yeah, go for the meat of the Word. For the meat of the Word, all the more of that. He wants to give you more. He wants to desire more and pursue more and go after more. Because eternity matters. That's Solomon's point. We as Christians should know that. Eternity matters. If not, this life is empty. This life is vain. Random stuff happens. It seems like bad things happen all the time. It doesn't make any point. Oh, why not just quit? You know, death reigns. Uh, was that Sol- uh, not Solomon? Darwin. You know, well, the strongest survive. That's it. You know, we're going to go. Survival of the fittest. Nope. That's wrong. God's view is right. The world's view is wrong. And Solomon's going to go through and say, I'm going to look at the world's pursuits and show you it's wrong. You desire God. That's why he concludes with where he does. The Lord, his law. These are things that matter. So get it right now. Learn now. Take in wisdom now. If you don't have that, you need to make your RSVP now. You need to make reservations. You need to be planning for eternity here and now. Jesus Christ made it available for us. If we repent and trust in him, salvation is given to us. Eternity is given for us. And then we also know when these hard things come in life, that it's him working, moving, teaching, guiding, using all these things and experiences for us to be able to help and reach others. And Solomon's going to help give us some good insights to that so when we see them coming, we have ready answers for the reason of the hope that lies within us. So Jesus is the answer to Ecclesiastes. Eternity is the answer. God does matter. Life without it, it seems empty, seems void, seems short, seems, seems lacking. Because it is. Because we are built for more, so much more. Steve Curtis Chapman. More to this life. Yeah, there's more to this life. We have it in Jesus Christ. So, uh, let's close in prayer.